I think back to I think back to times in my life where some pretty scary things happened. And if you're old enough, some of you will remember the gas crisis in the middle to late 1970s. I remember sitting in our car in line at the gas station because depending on the number on your license plate or the letters on your license plate determined what day of the week you could actually go and get gas. And as I think back on that, I should have been really concerned about it, but I wasn't. I knew my parents were in control. I knew that there was nothing to worry about. We were going to get gas. I was going to go home, and I was going to eat and play and go to bed. Then you fast forward to 1987. I remember sitting in a chapel service and at college, and the, the guy that was leading chapel said, like he puts his hands on his knees and he leans over, and he said, the stock market just crashed. And I could tell that he was anxious over the stock market crashing, but I'm a student in college. All I'm thinking is, you know what? I'm going to listen to what he has to say. I'm going to go to lunch. I'm going to eat, spend time with my friends, go to class, and then play all evening, which is what I did in college. So that was 1987. Then, of course, we all know what Y2K is. Y2K hit. People were stocking up water and food, and it came to nothing. And then, of course, we all know what happened in, um, on September 11th. Our world is, our country is attacked by some terrorists and thousands of people died. World Trade Centers collapsed. Plane goes down in West Pennsylvania. Pentagon, plane hits it. People came to churches by the masses. We moved on. 2008, stock market crashes again. 2009, swine flu, people dying, stock market crashes again. We move on. And here we are. And you know what? I just named the ones that have come to my mind just now. We move on, and here we are in 2020, and we see a world in mass hysteria because of a virus that um, has come into the world. And we, as brothers and sisters in Christ, are called to stand firm in the midst of all of this. So listen to this. I know you will have details pop into your mind regarding what we've been experiencing over the last couple of months. But here are the highlights. According to the World Health Organization and, the, and our, our Center for uh, Disease Control, December 31st is the first report given by China to the World Health Organization um, that they had been monitoring a cluster of... Um, those who were experiencing pneumonia-like symptoms in their country. And then on January 12th, China 12th, China released the genome sequence for this virus to the World Health Organization, and that's when it was officially given its name, as we all know, um, as COVID-2019 or the coronavirus. Then January 30th, the World Health Organization declares it to be, this virus to be, a public health emergency of international concern. And we're called to stand firm. The Center for Disease Control on January, January 21st reports the first case of coronavirus in our country. January 31st, Health and Human Services Secretary Alex Azar II declares it a public health emergency for the United States, and that simply means that it's time to respond by bringing aid to our national health care community. Then on March 11th, the World Health Organization characterizes the coronavirus to be a global pandemic. 
and we are supposed to stand firm. Now, living in West Michigan, none of that seemed of concern to me too much to that point. But just this past week is when things started to get interesting for us that live in Michigan and West Michigan. Thursday night, I get a text from Kevin, one of our deacons, and he says, hey, uh, have you seen that the governor is calling for all schools to be closed through April 6th? And you know what my first thought was? Well, that's the beginning of spring break. What happens to spring break? Are they going to have spring break? I'm not concerned with the, the virus. I'm starting to think about, well, what happens with spring break? But that was Thursday at 11.30. Also, our governor asks, asked on Thursday that no groups of greater than 100 meet. And then Friday, President Trump declares a national state of emergency because of the coronavirus. Now, this is where it got personal for West Michigan. We were okay with it until the schools were closed. And this is how I know it became a serious thing for West Michigan. Wendy and I went to the grocery store on Friday, Friday morning, and it was like many, many people, the place was packed, but it was like no one was talking except in hushed tones. At least this is the way I'm imagining it. And of course, you walk down the aisle where the toilet paper is, and guess what's all gone? Toilet paper. I don't know why that's such a big deal. But toilet paper was gone. We walked past the, uh, um, the place where they bring the goods out from the back, and as we walked past, there's a cart coming out full of toilet paper. And I'm looking at Wendy, and I said, do we need toilet paper? No. Well, everyone else is getting it, so why don't we? So we grabbed some, we put it in our cart, and we moved on. And he said, he said this is tomorrow's load. Now, he wasn't saying don't take it. He was just saying, this is how bad it is with toilet paper. This is supposed to be for tomorrow, and I'm bringing out today, and it was, wasn't even noon. Wendy said, and then we got to the lines, it, every, every lane is open. Three deep, four deep, grocery, grocery carts packed full. And I said, man, this is crazy what the virus is doing. And Wendy said to me, this isn't the virus. This is all the moms that are realizing I now have my kids at home for three weeks and I don't want to bring them to the grocery store to do my shopping. They started thinking ahead and thinking this is what it's going to look like. And as I think about these things, as I roll from 1970s until today, and I think about the things that have come into my life that are things that have shaken our world, not just our country, our world, my head goes to what are, what are the things that we permit to shake us, to push us around, to lead us. Christy Lothamer, the wife of a former pastor that went here, she posted on Facebook and she said this, fear is a terrible leader. Fear is a terrible leader. But all too often mankind is found letting fear push them around and fear is driven by things that come into our lives that we have absolutely no control over. So what is it for you right now? Maybe it's your own personal health concern. Maybe you have something going on that you don't have an answer for, the doctors don't have an answer for. Maybe you're one that is concerned with the volatility of the stock market. Maybe you look at your children and they're not making wise choices. Maybe for you, it's you have this deep-seated sin battle that you just have not been able to beat. 
Why do we let these things worry us? Why do we let these things push us around? Why do we let these things create fear in our hearts? Remember, fear is a terrible leader. And it comes from this. We have no control over these things. That's why we let these things push us around. It changes our family. It changes our travel. It changes what happens with schools. It it changes what happens with our sporting activities. It's causing everything in our lives to change, and we don't like it. For example, for us as a church, it's changed the way we have to do church. No services, no church services. This reveals what we truly think about who the church is and what the church is. We preach it every Sunday. The church is not this place where we meet. The church is the people that meet in it. And we don't need to be together on, the Sunday morning to, on, on a Sunday morning to be the church. Let's be reminded of that. For how long? I don't know for how long. And when I think about what we have to experience for what sounds like the next two, three, four weeks, maybe... Our fear right now, not suggesting that the church is afraid or should be afraid, but my mind goes to, we're we're facing a virus. Let's put this into perspective. We're facing a virus. The Lord takes my thoughts to Iran, where people are being persecuted and killed because they have given their lives to the Lord and it's driven the church underground. And they meet on Sunday mornings in homes and Saturday nights on homes and in times and in places where no one else will know because they know it would cost them their lives. And we face a virus that's caused us a little disruption to our schedules for a handful of weeks. Let's keep this into perspective. So what do I do? What are we tempted to do in situations like this? We try and control. We drop our shoulder into it and we push with all our might and we try and make it go the way we think it should go. You know what I've learned to do in a situation like this? As I look around the room, many of you, all of you this morning, are on a list of people that I send every week I preach. Prayer requests. Pray for me this week because I'm preaching through. I want you to know you need someone in your life like Lucy Bema. She sent me a text and she said, listen, if there is any moment you need me to be praying for you, send me a text that simply says pray. And so guess what? I prayed. She said, you don't need to respond. Just say pray. And I know in any moment of darkness or concern or doubt, I have Lucy standing ready to pray for me no matter where she is. That causes the striving for me to stop. The things of this world do not concern when you know you have people praying for you. Let me remind you, we see all of this happening around us, and we're talking in large part about coronavirus right now, but I want you to think through what what are the things that I permit to push me around to cause me fear. Here's the reminder. Whether it's coronavirus or cancer or volatility of stock market or wayward kids, here's the reminder. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, 
and that's those that he brings into relationship with him, he has predetermined, he has predetermined that you would be conformed into the image of his son. My personal experience says I need the events of the mid to late 70s. I need stock market crashes. I need virus scares. I need stock market crashes. I need these things in my life. I need health scares to get my attention. God's purpose for us is that we would be conformed into the image of his son. God wants to get his glory through us. And right now, he is using the coronavirus as a tool. Remember this, we live in a fallen world. We live in a fallen and broken down world. And he is using the things of this broken world to get our attention, to keep our eyes focused on him, and to wake up a sleeping world and to open the eyes of the world that is blind. Today's passage, I believe, brings an eternity, a world, an eternity worth of hope if we are willing to listen. There's a far greater battle going on than coronavirus, which is a physical battle that's happening around us. Our battle, church, is not against flesh and blood. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but we wrestle against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Our battle is inside, it's with the soul. And Paul tells us in Philippians chapter 4, verse 1, he says this, Therefore, my brothers, no matter what, no matter what it is you're facing, therefore, my brothers and sisters, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, he says this, this is the imperative in this passage, stand firm thus in the Lord. Stand firm thus in the Lord. And as we stand firm thus in the Lord, here are some truths that he is about to make very clear to us. Whether it's in the face of a cancerous tumor or or a scary virus or wayward children, we can stand firm because he says to do it thus in the Lord. We don't have to stand alone. He has given us brothers and sisters in Christ to surround us, to be examples to us, for us to be examples to them about how to live in the face of fearful things. We can stand firm because even though we live in a fallen and broken down world that is groaning for Christ's return, and the enemy is still at work all around us, we have to remember that Christ is in control of absolutely all things. He is sovereign over every single thing. This broken down joint we call the world is not our home. And while we see it falling apart all around us, we know this. We have a heavenly home that Christ is calling us to, and he will bring us to one day where we don't have to worry about viruses and cancers and sin and the things that plague this world. So as we get into today's passage, let's pray together. Lord Jesus in heaven, I confess before you and before my church that There are things that frighten me. Lord, I humbly submit to you that I am often afraid to even declare your word. 
I pray, Lord Jesus, that the next moments we spend in your word, that your word would be one that would bring encouragement, would be ones that would bring encouragement. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would pour, pour your Holy Spirit out on our church. Lord, bring them a confidence in their relationship with you. Bring them an excitement and a joy because of being in relationship with you. Push fear out. You be their leader, we pray, not fear. Now, Lord, may, the, may your word be blessed as we bring it, as I bring it. May it touch each heart where it is. And we trust that you, by the might and the power of your Holy Spirit, will do the work. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Philippians chapter 3. We're going to begin at verse 17, and we're going through um, chapter 4, verse 1. I've already read 4.1 for you. It says, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, whom I, long, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. That's the imperative. We're starting with chapter 4, verse 1. But he says, also in chapter 3, starting at verse 17, he says, Brothers, join, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is their destruction. Their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame, with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to transform our lowly body to be like his. <laughs> Let's read that one again. Transform our lowly body to be like his body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Stand firm. Stand firm thus in the Lord. The greatest enemy of this is simply put, it's you. Your own plans, your own strength, your own will, your own desires as we fight against the perfect plan that Jesus has for us. We are our own greatest enemies. When we try and deal with fear, fearful things on our own and setting the Lord, permitting the Lord to do it. Now listen, stand firm. It's really crazy. This fits perfectly with what we're dealing with right now as a church, as a culture, as a world. This was laid out months ago, months and months ago. It was determined that this would be the passage that would be preached today and that I would be the one that is delivering the message. And the Lord says, stand firm. He knew months ago that this would be a message that our church would need to hear. Jesus said to Paul, stand firm. Paul says to us, Paul says to us, stand firm thus in the Lord. Stand firm thus in the Lord. And when I put myself in this Paul's shoes and he's, he's delivering this message, I wonder if his mind didn't go back to the moment where he met Jesus as his personal Savior on the road to Damascus. He records in Acts chapter 26, he says, he says, 
I see him thinking, I spent my lifetime relying on and trusting in my own strength. And Jesus comes in a flash and says, Paul, why are you persecuting me? And he says, why do you kick against the goads? You know who I am. You know the direction you should be going. You need to stop standing in your own strength and you need to lean into me. You need to let me be your strength. You need to stand firm thus in me. I see an ox kicking against the goads. The instrument that was intended to keep the ox headed straight where it was supposed to go. The ox still had its strength, but it had to listen to where it was supposed to go. Jesus says to Paul, why are you kicking against the goads? Jesus has laid out for us. God has laid out for us through the hand of Paul directives to help us stand firm, goads to help us to stand firm thus in him. So here we go. What does it take to stand firm thus in the Lord? It comes from chapter, or chapter 3, verse 17. Look at it. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Observe and imitate godly influence. This is what it takes to observe and imitate godly influence. Isn't it crazy that Paul says, join in imitating me? He drops these things throughout his writings that blow these things that blow me away. For example, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, he says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Can you say that? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he says, for the love of Christ controls us. And he says, because, because we have concluded this, that Christ has died for all. Therefore, since Christ died, we must no longer live for ourselves, but live for him. And I'm thinking, okay, his, his love for Christ that controls him comes from the conclusion that he made that Jesus Christ died for him. I accept that truth, as I believe you do too. But still, can I say the love of Christ controls me? Does the love of Christ control me when frightful things come into my life? It makes me wonder about you as well. I know it doesn't always. And then in this passage, he says, imitate me. And so when you think about the Apostle Paul and the, and the numerous letters that he had written, the books of the Bible that he had written, where in the world do we begin by what to imitate in Paul's life? There are so many things about the Apostle Paul we could imitate, but I have three that we're going to focus on today of the many things. So in light of today and, and our current events, here's the first one. Paul, or, uh, um, Charles preached it last week, humility. Humility. Paul knew what it meant to thus in the Lord. He knew what it meant to stand firm thus in the Lord. To set aside everything he had counted on in the past, everything that he had put his focus and his pride in. This is who I am. He set it all aside and said, one thing I do, I forget those things that I counted on. And now I am turning and I have turned my focus on Jesus Christ, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. And what lies ahead for him is a life 
in, the, in relationship with Jesus Christ, knowing that he is in charge of all things. He is his savior. He is his source. He is his strength. He is his everything. Knowing that he can't do anything apart from Jesus Christ, driven to a place of humility. We must imitate Paul's humility. And then also his deep affection, the deep affection he had for others. Look at verse 1 in chapter 4. He says, Therefore, my beloved, whom I love, whom I love and long for, he calls them his joy and his crown. He says, Stand firm thus in the Lord. He calls them my beloved. This is the type of relationship he shared with those that were in the Philippian church. And this is the kind of love that we should have for one another. I love that he calls them his joy and his crown. You've heard me share many times that we're told to store up for ourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Paul's crown is this church. His treasure is this church. He revels in the absolute truth that Christ has claimed them. They are brothers and sisters in Christ. He has a deep love and affection for him. And his joy is knowing that this is not the end. We will all be together one day in glory with Jesus Christ. A deep affection for others. We should share that with each other. Humility, deep affection for others, and an expressed confidence. When I think about times like this, I've had this thing on my shoulder that wouldn't go away. Sorry for the, if this is graphic for you, sorry about that. But, but there is infection that comes out of it, that came out of it. And I got tired of it. And I thought, well, you know what? I should probably at least get the doctor to look at it. I went in and I had the doctor look at it. And he's like, yeah, that's nothing but a cyst. He said, covered up. If it's not gone in... A month or two, he said, come back and see me. Well, in my impatience, why? Because I want to control the situation. I said, I'm tired of this thing being on my shoulder. I went into the doctor and I said, cut it out. So he cuts it out. And as he's cutting it out and I'm laying there listening to what's happening right next to my ear and wishing I wasn't in that position, um, he's like, you know what? I don't think I'm going to send this away. Eh, maybe I will since I have it out. No, and then he's like, as he's cutting this thing out and stitching me up, he's like going back and forth whether he should. So I'm like, well, good. Confidence in the professional that it's not a big deal to him. He says, you know what, I better send it away since we have it out. He sends it away. A few days later, I get a call from him, and you know what he says? He says, well, it's good we sent that away because that was cancerous. And so, of course, out of control, I have this thing on me. It was cancer. Now what happens? Fear. And he says, but it's the second most common form of cancer. Nothing to worry about. We cut it out. We'll move on. He said, he said now you need to come in and uh, we'll need to take more out to make sure we got it all. But since then, it's been infected and I got, I've gotten calls. And every time the doctor calls, I'm like, oh, no. But then when he lays it out for me, I have trusted in his professional expertise for my confidence. And so as it relates to my physical well-being, I am determined to listen to his professional confidence to bring me peace. As it relates to relationship with each other, we must imitate 
We must with each other imitate and express the confidence he had in those that were a part of that church. Chapter 1, verse 6 says this, I am sure of this, he says of them. I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you, the moment he came into your heart, poured himself out into you by the power of his Holy Spirit, the moment that happened, he began a good work in you, and he's going to bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. I don't know who is in your life right now that's shaken by this, but your confidence in the Lord and what the Lord is doing in them should bring them confidence in their relationship with the Lord. I've sat with many that have been engaged in sin battle after sin battle after sin battle. Declaring Christ all the way, sickened by their sin, sickened by the battle and their failures and getting up and getting after it again. It causes the person to wonder, am I even really saved? And here's what I say to them. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. He began a good work in you. He's going to bring it to completion. You have nothing to worry about. The day of Jesus Christ pales in comparison to any struggle, any sickness, any disease that you face. We must express confidence in others. We must be the confidence of others in the times where they can't be. Express confidence. While we can't actually watch Paul because he's no longer around, um, he goes on to ver- in verse 1 to say, we must keep our eyes on those who walk according to his example. And so my wonder for you is this. We have to be in community together. If you're not in community together, how are you going to watch those who are living in accordance with Paul's examples that he lays out in Scripture? Have to be in community together. Who in your life do you have that expresses a humility before God and others? Who in your life do you have that expresses a deep love and affection for you? Especially in times like these, we have to be individuals that are expressing such a confidence in the Lord that we are still living life to its fullest in spite of something that's scary like the coronavirus. We have to have godly influences in our lives, and we have to be godly influence to those in our lives. I think back to that day where I was sitting in the car, and I want to say it was like 1977 or 78. I wasn't worried about whether or not we were going to get gas. Why? Because I trusted that my parents had my best interests in mind. I wasn't worried. We should be the same way to our church and to our family. Be a godly influence. How do you respond to things outside your control? Think about the Apostle Paul when he was, in, he was shipwrecked with 200 plus prisoners. They end up on an island. They don't even know where they are. It's raining. He throws a bundle of sticks into a fire and a viper comes out and latches onto his arm. He shakes it off like it was nothing. He sits back down like it was nothing. All the natives are like, yeah, that guy was a really bad man because that's what happens to bad men. They get bit by a snake and they were waiting for him to blow up and die. Nothing ever happened. Paul wasn't concerned about it. That should be our response in the face of anything that this broken down joint of a world we live in would throw at us. 
So, who in your life do you have that you are imitating, that, you're, that, that is worthy of being imitated, imitated? Are you living a life in Christ that should be imitated, that could be imitated? We need to observe, church, we need to observe and imitate godly influence as we are in community together. Hey, here's another one. What does it take to stand firm in the Lord? Number two, observe and reject worldly influence. Look back at the passage. Verse 18, for many of whom I have often told you, and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is their destruction. Their God is their belly. And they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. Who are these people? They are belly fillers. They are those that revel in their shame. They are those whose minds are set on the things of this world, concerned with the things of this world. Those are the ones who are the clear, clear enemies of the cross. Belly fillers. Those who are un, have an unbridled appetite that cannot be satisfied and are not do not know what godly contentment is. I need the next new thing because the thing I have right now doesn't satisfy me. The 32-ounce steak is enough. A 16-ounce steak is not. I'm not satisfied with the state of my house. It must be updated. They are only concerned with the satisfaction of their own pleasure. That's what belly fillers look like. Individuals that glory in their shame. These are the ones that celebrate what is wrong. They glory in their shame. What the Bible says is wrong, that's what they celebrate. I remember as a 31-year-old man sitting in a sociology class with a bunch of 18 and 19-year-olds back in 1999. And the class was Monday, Wednesday, Friday, so I'm sitting in this class on Monday mornings. And Monday morning, I could have written the script for everything that was said by a bunch of 18 and 19-year-olds. Man, I can't even remember how I got to my room last night. I drank so much, my, my roommate told me she had to drag me home. This is what it's like to glory in your shame. It's the man who revels in his sexual conquests and how many beers he can drink. Remember this, Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20 says, Woe to them who call evil good and good evil. These are the ones that glory in their shame, that have determined that the things of this world are what they need to run after, and they celebrate it. The heart of Jesus is broken over these things. Broken over these things. Belly fillers. Those that glory in their shame, mindset on earthly things. They're more concerned with the outward and the physical than they are the inward and the spiritual. They're confident in their own flesh. They glory in themselves. Hey, this is who I am. They're proud of who they are, like Paul was. There's an overemphasis time spent on physical health, diet, physique. Confidence being found in appearance. It also means this. 
They respond to earthly things in an earthly manner. Look at what's happening around the world right now. People are losing it over coronavirus. They are losing it over coronavirus. I'm not suggesting that we don't take um, measures of precaution. I'm not suggesting that. But we should live today just like we did today a year ago. We should live tomorrow just like we did five months ago. If your life is determined by the Lord Jesus Christ and you are standing firm thus in him, this is nothing to us. For our kids, it should, be, it should feel like a vacation to them. Not a scary thing. That's the mind that's set on earthly things, ones that are pushed around by fearful thoughts of the things of this world. Now look, look back at the passage. Paul says, their end is their destruction, and he tells them this even with tears. So before we look upon those that respond to worldly things in this way, before we're tempted to judge, remember that Paul mourned for them as he shared with tears. We need to look upon those that we see responding with panic and fear. And know that their end is destruction. It's not going to get better for them. Remember, 2 Corinthians chapter 6 says, And such were some of you. That apart from Jesus Christ, we would be in the exact same place. This should drive us to be personal in our evangelism. This is a wonderful opportunity as the Lord uses this virus to get the world's attention for you to express to the world, this isn't shaking me. You model for them. Show them satisfaction in the bread of life, Jesus Christ, in the living water, Jesus Christ. Model for them what it means to be at peace in the midst of scary things. Let your manner of life bring conviction to them over shameful things. Let your life and words provoke them to think on what is heavenly, not on what is earthly. They are doomed for destruction. Show them something else by your life. Let them hear something else by your words. Yes. Yes. We are to observe people like Paul and imitate godly influences. Yes, we are to observe and reject the worldly things, the worldly influences that are all around us. But there's one final thing, and this is the one that's most exciting, church. This is it. This is it. What does it take to stand firm in the Lord? It's know where your true home is. Our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies, our broken down, sinful, nasty, sick bodies, to be like his glorious body that's perfect in every way. And he'll do this by the power that enables him to subject all things to himself, even to subject all things to himself. I lived in Chambersburg, Pennsylvania for the first 32 years of my life. Never thought I would, I'm a homebody. Never thought I would move away from there. When I go back there, I can go into my bedroom and take a five-hour nap because it's a place that represents peace and comfort and safety and security for me. Never thought I'd move away from there. When I go back, that's what that represents for me. 
I come to my home in Grand Haven now. I've lived there for 17, 18 years. That is a place of peace and comfort and security for me. I can go home after the sermon and take a five-hour nap because it's a place that represents those things to me. We put our house up for sale a couple of years ago, and I cried because I'm like, this is where Wendy and I started our family in our home. I can't imagine living anywhere else. But here's the deal. No matter how much safety and security I can get from these places, they cannot, they cannot fix the broken nature of this world we live in. Cancer on my shoulder, that's gone. Fear of coronavirus, it will follow me there if I permit it. Death, our bellies will not be satisfied in this world. The lust of the flesh we will always deal with here, whether you are in your most safe place or not. But here's the great promise, this is not our home. Our home is in heaven. Jesus is going to come and take us and transform these bodies to make them like his. And we will no longer deal with sin and temptation. We will no longer deal with sickness. Heaven is our home with a glorified body in the presence of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And the Philippian church and the Apostle Paul and us will be there together. That's where Jesus is. And so then he can say, if you live with these things in mind, you can stand firm thus in the Lord. And so, church, let's stand firm thus in the Lord. Apart from Jesus Christ, this is the great news. Apart from Jesus Christ, you will be pushed around by the trappings of this world. You will be pushed around by your flesh. The people and the things of this world will lead you astray and lead you to disappointment. But it's only through Jesus Christ that you can stand firm. And so when you think about what you permit to lead you, is it your fear? Is it the things of this world that you let push you around? You can stand firm thus in the Lord because he has given you his Holy Spirit. And so if there is anyone, anyone, anyone that does not know that peace that passes all understanding that comes from being in relationship with Jesus Christ, now is the time. Now is the time. You can live with great confidence. Knowing that the moment you give your life to Jesus, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I love your word. I love the truth that we can stand firm. Thus in you. Forgive us, Lord, for where we are tempted to try and take things into our own hands and control. Lord, I pray that our example of confidence in you in the face of scary things would be a testimony to our neighbors, to our unsaved family, our friends. Lord, if there is anyone that does not know this peace, I pray, Lord, that you would press into their hearts right now. Convict them. Let them know you are their source of peace. And Lord Jesus, help Summit Church 
to stand firm in you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This is what it says in Hebrews 4. Let us then draw with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace and help in time of need. And so this, this week we're going to purpose to draw near to God no matter what we see, feel, and know. We're going to stand firm. And despite the things that we read and see, we're going to bring our petitions to the Lord and find great peace, right? Just like we sang earlier this morning. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop, you never stop working. You never stop, you never stop working. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop, you never stop working. You never stop, you never stop working. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop, you never stop working. You never stop, you never stop working. Even when I don't see it, you're working.